weeks ago, uh, we kind of set things in motion talking about the fact that worship is for God, not us, and that it's not about music and, and the lights or all of that stuff um, or lyrics. It's about a, it's a lifestyle. It's about our heart and, uh, and how we live it out. And then uh, last week, uh, Caleb did an awesome job talking about what it meant to be a priest and, and why we should be priests and how we're supposed to be priests and that, that truly priests... Their, their main goal is to, as you saw this morning, is to set up a meeting place. Uh, and technically, according to the, the, the wording, and it may not say that in your Bible, but they were supposed to steward a meeting place, which means they're supposed to manage it, to take care of it. Remember, that it wasn't their meeting place. It was God's meeting place, but they were supposed to take care of it. And the New Testament talks a lot about being a good steward. And, and that's what's hard is we have to steward worship. Did you know that? We have to steward that atmosphere. We have to steward that humbleness. We have to steward that intimacy. And that means we manage it. We take care of it. We shelter it. We, we make sure that it increases. If you want to see what that means, uh, look at the parable of the talents and see what happens to the person that just takes and hides what's been given to them and see what the interaction is with the owner uh, being God. Uh, it's not a good result. So we're somebody that should steward, which means that we should not only take what's been given to us, but we should increase it and expand it. And I'm going to ask you to turn real quick to Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. It won't be on the screen. I want you to see this and read it with your eyes so that you see what it says here about this place. And so the, the question of, of, this, of this session, this series this morning is, why a tabernacle? We talked about the fact that the Old Testament had a, a system of worship, and then he was using it as a shadow of what was to come, a form of heavenly worship that Hebrews talks about, where it's a tent not made with human hands, and that Jesus has fulfilled all the sacrifices. But I want you to look at verse 7 in chapter 33 real quick, and, and here's what my New King James Version says. It says, Moses took his tent... And he pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting, or just tent. Tabernacle is just a, a fancy word for tent. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Now, I'm going I'm to lay the groundwork here this morning so we can get into the meat of this. And I want you to look at these words and realize what's being said here. So Moses took his tent... And he took it where? He set it up outside the camp. And he makes note to say that it was far away from the camp. It's not in a customary, usual place. So this is not only talking to us about a private worship environment with us and God, but that we have some setting up to do. We have some preparing to do. Moses had to come and get his tent, and he set it up away from the crowd. The camp is over there, a million people all camped around uh, in, in their order and in their tribes, and he said, hey, I've got something different. I'm going to move away from all of you, not that I'm better, but can I tell you this morning that if you're going to get a different or higher level with God, sometimes you've got to get away from the crowd. You've got to stop following the crowd. It's good sometimes to follow the crowd, but if, you're don't know, if you don't know where the crowd's going, you could be led in the wrong direction. And he was also saying that this is something different. These are Hebrew people that knew how to pray, knew who their God was, but he said, you know what? We need to get away sometimes. 
We've got to pull back. We've got to come under a different covering. Not just your tent, but a tent where we meet with God. And he says not only that it was far away, so they had to make a little distance. There's a little bit of traveling involved there because I think for a reason, A, that God knows that we're all on a journey. Did you know that? We're all on a journey? (laughs) But that he wants us to come to him. And this may be a unique concept to you because maybe you've been taught or maybe you've heard, well, God is everywhere all at once and he's inside of us. And, 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 and I get it. Psalm 139 says, where can I go to escape the presence of the Lord? You can't. But there's also a mindset of me seeking God. Yes, he is in me. But if he is worthy and if I awe him and if I respect him and if I reverence him, then isn't he worthy for me to go and meet him? There's a lot of people that make no qualms about getting on an airplane, getting in a car, and driving to Disneyland. And that's not God. You'll make the journey. You'll go to the mall. You'll go to your favorite restaurant. Instead of saying, hey, hey, call up Sizzler and tell him to bring that steak here. And they're going to say, we don't do deliveries. Well, all right. And so, but somehow we expect God to come to us. Now, the great news is he does. But we still have to prepare a place for him. So he set it up outside the tent, and he called it the tabernacle of meeting. Look at this. It's the tent of meeting. It, nothing else is supposed to go on. This is not where we sell anything. This is not where we eat. This is not just a place to get in out of the shade of the heat of the desert. This is a place where we go for one purpose, and that one purpose is what? To meet with God. Notice that it says it came to pass that everyone who wanted to meet with God... What did they do? They went out to the tent. Moses put something in motion that God has been wanting all of this time that went way beyond a tent, way beyond a tabernacle. And sometimes we get caught up in all the workings and all the trappings of how much money was spent and fine linens and it was this and it was that. And and that's good to know that stuff. But can I tell you that at the heart of all this, God wants his people to seek him out so he can meet with you. And we have to steward a place. It used to be this. Now, this would look funny. Could you imagine having to go to work and carrying a tent? Well, at lunchtime, I'm going to go meet the Lord, so I'll see you guys. And, and you spend your lunch hour at the tent of meeting. And then when you're done, you fold it all down and you pack it all up. And, you, and then you go to Walmart and you say, well, I might have a tent of meeting someplace here. And as we read in the New Testament, something amazing happens. There's a transition that now this is our tent. This is where the Holy Spirit resides. This is where Jesus Christ himself takes residence. And we become the mobile tent. See, that's the thing about tents is they're not permanent structures, right? Wherever you need to go, wherever you need to meet God, you set up the tent of meeting. And now we don't have to do the physical. Now it's become the spiritual. But we still have to steward it. We still have to prepare a tent of meeting. Are you ready to meet God? And I don't mean at death. Are you ready to meet God this morning? Do you, have you prepared a meeting place, a, a place away from the hustle and bustle of your normal life? Some place that 
that you pull back to for a specific purpose of meeting him alone. And if you haven't, don't feel guilty this morning. Just take it as good news as to something that you can do anywhere. It can be in your car. It can be in the shower. It can be a private place in your house. It can be out in your backyard because you are the tent. But the important part is the preparation. Now, notice that it didn't say, oh, it had to be some special big tent. He made everything special in the tabernacle so that it did look different than all the other tents. And there was a reason behind all that that we may get into. But for now, let's just understand that the tent provided some things that we're going to talk about this morning. So there's three big questions that we're going to ask in regard to this tent and and, and to why there's this tent. And the first one is, who is God? What's he like? And that, that depends on how you got raised. <laughs> it's probably a little bit different for all of us. Maybe God to you was the guy that was distant and judgeful and the guy that you talked to that never answered. That was your God. Maybe God was that religious Thing in the church that made people act funny or do strange things and, and said yay and nay and spoke in King James, maybe that's your God. Maybe God was a very personal, intimate relationship where your life has been changed drastically from darkness to light. Maybe that's your God. Maybe God's a feeling and you're more New agey, and God is in the trees, and God is in my insoles, and God is in the lint in my belly button. And, and while that may, in big, grandiose theory, be true, God is a person. In fact, God is three people God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So who is God? Let's read what he says of himself. He says, I don't want you to make yourself a carved image. You don't have to make something. You don't have to make your own God. I'm already God. You're only copying a likeness of something that I've already made. Now think about that for just a minute. I want to be your God, but instead you want to create something that you've seen that kind of tickles your your fancy. Yeah, that looks good. Let's make that a God. Oh, that's cool. Let's make that a God. And we may, if we're not careful, still do this today. We can make music our God. We can make church our God. We can make religion our God. And yet none of those things are God, but you can serve God through those things. But I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we miss the point that He is God. And you may say, well, I've never carved anything. It's not just the carving. It's whatever you begin to fashion. Sometimes the biggest form of idol worship is found right there inside your wallet. A nice little printed green and linen bill. (laughs) But be careful what we worship. Look what he says. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them. And again, we talked about that week one, that proscunal that prostrating ourselves, leaning forward, bowing down, reaching towards. You're not supposed to do that to them or serve them. They're not your God. I, the Lord, your God, I am a what? 
Okay, now listen for just a minute. Now you think, what kind of a God can he be if he's jealous? He's jealous for us. He's not demanding anything from us. He exists away and apart from us. He will always be in existence. But he's jealous for you, for your life, for you to be children of the king. He's jealous, meaning just like a jealous spouse. You're supposed to be mine. Not everybody's. You're just supposed to be mine. Exodus 25 and 8. I want you to have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. Do you see what he's trying? This is the type of God we serve. I want to be their God. I want them to be my people. I want to live among them. Exodus 29. I will consecrate the tabernacle and the altar. I'll do that. I'll consecrate Aaron. I will do that. And I will live among the people of Israel and I will be their God. What kind of a God do we serve? A God who wants to be our God, who wants to be among us. He doesn't want to be distant. He doesn't want to be unknowable. And they will know that I am the Lord their God. And as Melissa so wonderfully set this up, I'm the one who brought them out. I took care of all of that. So that, what? So I could live among them. I am the Lord their God. Now this is God himself saying, I want to be your God. Now think about that. None of the other gods that they had tried to serve ever told them, hey, I've got some good benefits for you. I want to be your God. No, it was demanding. It was legalistic. You give me your children. You give me your virgins. You give me your crops. You give and you give and you give. And maybe I'll look your way and bless you. And here comes Yahweh, Adonai, the everlasting God, And he says, I want to be your God. I want to know you. In fact, I don't need you to put me on some totem pole or carve some image. I want to live right where you live. I want to move into your neighborhood. I want to really know you. And I want you to know me. But the way that you do that is to set up a place where we can meet. Isn't that funny that that's still our our normal way of doing things when you want to meet somebody maybe for the first time that you've had some occasional contact with? Hey, why don't we get together? I'll, I'll meet you at Starbucks and we'll sit down. You usually don't bring 15 people with you to meet that person. Wouldn't that be a little weird? <laughs> you set up a meeting place and you get to know that person. You ask some questions and they ask questions of you and That's what God is asking for us. Because he's he's not like us. Yet we have some of his attributes and he has and will continue to exist whether we ever worship him or not. But the question is, will we be like him and where will we end up if we don't worship him? That's a good question. He is jealous for us, but he is not jealous of us. Another big question that comes with the tent. How do we approach him? If there's a God, and there is, and he wants to come and meet me, how do I, how do I, how do I arrange that meeting? Because 
Every one of us knows, unless you've just been like born and just kind of living your life, that every king and ruler, every politician, every person in authority has a protocol for how you approach them. Okay? You don't get to just walk in and knock on the White House door and say, I'd like to meet the president, please. It don't happen. <laughs> you probably can't even walk in and I'd like to meet the governor, please. Sometimes you can't even walk in and talk to your boss. <laughs> Let's be real. Sometimes you can't talk to your spouse. Sometimes you've got to prepare a meeting place. Yes, the scriptures do say we can boldly come, come before the throne of grace. But the only reason we can do that is because Jesus Christ has fulfilled all the sacrifices. But boldness never takes the place of humbleness. We can come boldly and humbly. We didn't do anything. We haven't did the sacrifices. We haven't paid the penalty. Our main job is just to set up a meeting place. And then we can come without fear because of his grace, but to assume that he should just come to us. That's not grace, that's arrogance. Exodus 25, look look at this. I want them to make me a sanctuary, a meeting place, so that I can dwell among them according to all that I'll show you. That is a pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings just so you shall make it. Now listen, this is worship, and I want you to look at those last couple words in that sentence so that you understand what we've been talking about for three weeks. God has a plan for how you approach Him. Make it the way I tell you to make it. You shall make it just that way. And if you make it that way, I will meet with you and I'll be your God. And this is why when we just think we can come willy-nilly, whatever that means, unprepared, unfocused, unreligious, unawed, unreverent into God's presence, you may show up, but it doesn't mean he's going to. Because if they don't make the tabernacle how he said to make it, God doesn't show up. And some of us have been encouraged because of democracy and the American dream. I can do what I want, when I want, and God just owes me to show up in the spot. I don't think so. He is God. And if he is God, then we should know him and do what he says. And we should be so thankful this morning that we don't have to pack around all this stuff. I don't have to pack around a tent. But I still have to prepare a meeting place. I have to steward my life so that I leave room for God in the manner in which he says, because he sets the pattern. He is the king. He sets the protocol. You don't get to call the president of the United States and say, listen, this is how it works. Okay, Mr. Trump, I'm going to be at work about 11 o'clock on Tuesday, and you come and show up. I'll see if I can fit you in. And that's a earthly leader. And yet we think we get to dictate to the one who created everything and has saved us. 
But it don't work that way, church, and we've got to switch our brain, realizing he says how to do it. Thank God he tells us how, because he wants to meet with us. Not that he's demanding. He's not some overbearing, zealous person that's like, I wonder how much I can make him sweat. Let's see this. He's just like, I want you to understand that I'm in the midst of all of this, and all of these things remind you of me and remind me of you. That's why it's supposed to be special. That's why it's supposed to be unique. That's why it doesn't just look like some ramshackle tent that gets thrown together. Exodus 29, 43. And they will meet me with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be my sanctuary by my glory. Look at this. If he doesn't show up, it's just a tent. If he doesn't show up, it's just music. If he doesn't show up, it's just you talking. It's not really prayer. If he doesn't show up, you're not saved. If he doesn't show up, you're not healed. If he doesn't show up, we're just going through the motions. No matter what we build, no matter what we create, the real response for why we do what we do is to get him to show up. That's why... Our worship must be lifestyle, not relegated to a couple hours on a day of the week. Our lifestyle is our worship. Our decisions are our worship. How we spend our money is our worship. How we treat other people is our worship. How we work, how we employ, all of those things. How we raise our children, all of that is worship because it reveals who we're pattering it after. Either we're doing it God's way or we're not. And when we're not... Don't expect God to be in it. See, that's the problem. That's the arrogance that creeps in. Well, I I did my best. He didn't ask you to do his best. He asked you to do this. And the church has tried all of that. Well, we've got to dress up. You think God is impressed with our clothes? He has heavenly raiment. He has seen living rainbows. The streets look like gold and seas of crystal glass. You think us putting on some suit from Macy's is going to impress him? And we finally got out of that mess that God was impressed enough to show up because we put a tie on. He showed up in power, in a pillar of fire to people that were wearing slave clothes. Remember who they were? Slaves. 400 years, all they had known is slavery. Do you think they walked out in tricked out clothes, looking all sharp? Okay, we're good now. And yet God chose a bunch of slaves to be his people. Look at this. I love you so much, I want to be with you. I'm not going to just deliver you and set you loose. I'm going to be with you. And that's you this morning too. I may deliver you, but I'm not going to just let you go. I love you and I want to be with you. Prepare a place for me. Set up and steward a tabernacle for me. Exodus 35, 21. Everyone came. Look at this. It's not demanded. It's not commanded. Everyone came whose heart was stirred. You see, worship, lifestyle worship is all about the heart. And when your heart is not stirred, most of us are not in it. And we have to remind ourselves, what has God done for us? And what is he to us? And who is he as a God? 
and everyone whose spirit was willing. You see, it means really right there that not everybody came to him, right? If not, they would have just said everybody came. But notice that there's some specifiers. Everybody whose heart was stirred, man, I want to meet with God. Now, I'm going to give you my practical interpretation of this this morning. I think there's a lot of people who say that they love God, but their spirit's not willing. They're not willing to change. They're not willing to bow. They're not willing to move. They're not willing to make some of the choices that need to be made. Well, I really love God, and I know he says I shouldn't get drunk, but you know, I'm just going to depend on his grace. Don't expect him to bless your life when you're walking in disobedience. That's like him saying, hey, I want your tabernacle to be blue on the top. And I said, you know, the blue one's expensive. I got this one, and it's cheaper, and it's just a tent. And we say, come on, just come on anyway. He says, you get the blue, and I show up. Because that's how I told you to do it. And we think we get to negotiate with God. What's the difference if it's blue, if it's orange, if it's this, if it's that, if I don't live like you say, if I just kind of act like this? It doesn't really matter, does it? Yes, it matters. It matters. Not just to him, but to the world that's watching how we worship. And that's why I say our lifestyle must be our worship. How do we answer the people in our lives that ask us questions of how we live that don't line up with the Bible. I wish we'd just be honest and say, I'm just being disobedient. How would you answer that question? How come you didn't go to church on Sunday? Well, you know, you don't have to attend church to be a Christian. I've heard all that. How come you don't tithe? Yeah, you know, it's... it's uh, uh. You know what the people around you are saying? I'm not sure you really believe what you say you believe. Is your heart stirred for God? Is your spirit willing? Will you do what's needed to meet with him? And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Not everybody, just those that their heart was in it and those that were stirred. And if you want to know what it takes, it's different for everybody, but the reality is it's going to cost you something. Notice that they brought something for the work of the ministry. But we think, again, in our American mindset, it's all free. Everything should be free. But it's not. If we want to meet with God, let's understand without complaint and without gripe that we follow the protocol and be thankful he gave us the protocol. He set up the tabernacle in such a way that as we enter through the gate, Jesus even said that, enter by the narrow gate. He is the gate. Enter in and bring your sacrifice. Jesus is our sacrifice. Enter into the next altar of cleansing. Jesus is the one that cleanses us and forgives us. Enter into fellowship and worship in that, in that holy place. And it is. It's his word and the tabernacle in that place where there's a, a candlestick and there's a table of showbread and there's an altar of incense. All of it is Jesus. He has provided all of that. It's our protocol so that we can get into a place where we meet with God. 
And thank God we don't have to pack all that around. We don't have to make things, but we still have a process of approaching God that He has set in motion. And I guarantee you, if you'll follow His protocol, He shows up. He promises that. But when we don't, don't expect Him to show up. You want to know how we access God? Through the cross. Now here's what's cool. When they finally got all out and get this all set up, I'm going to put a little pattern up there if you don't already see it. He's at the very center. What shape does that look like to you? Now, if you grew up a pirate, it's an X, right? <laughs> an X marks the spot. It still works, okay? You want to know how we access God? Through the cross. Because it's all right there. I want you to have access. The tabernacle has gone away. How do you access me now? Through the cross. The object of sacrifice, the object of cleansing, the object of our praise and our offerings. All of those things represented, we just see it as beams of wood where somebody was nailed. Yes, that's true, but there is so much more. It was a template for how we come into the presence of God, and it's through the cross. To this day, there is no way to get to God except through the cross. Slash His Son, Jesus Christ. There's no other access point. And Jesus even says this from His own mouth. In John chapter 10, he, we may understand He's not talking about life, but He says it. If you want the abundant life I'm telling you about, you've got to come in through the door. And He goes on a little bit later, He says, I am the door. Everybody else who tries to get another way is a thief and a robber. Now, a little aside here for just a second. Not to lay out any legalism and definitely not to cause any guilt because guilt doesn't work, but to make us aware. Do you know that according to Scripture, thieves and robbers don't make it into heaven? Fact. So when he says, if you don't come through the door, you're a thief and a robber, you know what he's saying? No meeting place. You've tried a different way. You thought you could do it this way. You can't. You are not going to get to heaven. You're not going to make it through Jesus. You tried a different way. And this is what he's trying to tell us. Quit trying to do it a different way. Just do it the way I tell you to do it. But that hurts some of our sensibilities today where we're multitaskers and think, hey, it doesn't matter how I do it as long as the job gets done. That works well among our comrades but not with our Creator, who says it does matter how it gets done because I said to do it this way. The cross is our access, and this is where we're really seeing the fall off of people committed to Christianity today because I think they know what the cross means. There's scholars and all these people that do all this research and say, you know, we've got this biblically ignorant generation. I don't think that at all. I think they're very acutely aware that the cross means exactly what they think it means. It means death. It means sacrifice. It means I'm giving myself over. And that's why they don't choose it. They're making a decision. And I can respect that decision. But I think at the same time, we've got to come back to this decision and say, well, how did we get here? Why am I serving God? How did I get access to Him? It's through and will always be the cross. Not through your prayer, not through your attendance, not through good works. It comes only through the cross. That's the only way we get 
to God. Third big question. So if there is a God, and now I know what He's like, and if He's a protocol, and now I'm willing to do that, then how do we worship Him? That's a great question. Again, through that pattern of the tabernacle that, again, I don't want us to get caught up in, in that furniture and all that stuff, but I guess my question for you is, what are you bringing to Him? Is worship just a thing or an exercise that, that you decide to check out of or that you wish it was different? Have you ever asked God if your worship was pleasing to Him? That's a big one this morning. Have you ever asked God if your worship was pleasing to Him? Not your voice, your worship. Because I know if I ask God, is my voice pleasing to you? He'd say no. (laughs) Now the question is, in the way I live my life, can that be pleasing to Him? Certainly. And we've None of us are perfect this morning, right? Let's all be mature. None of us are perfect. We all miss it. But the question is, are we striving for his goal? Or are we just trying to get by with as little as possible? What's the minimum I can do to stay out of hell? That's not worship. What's the minimum I can do so that God says, okay, you got your check mark for today? That's not worship. What's the tradition I follow? Because that's how I saw my folks and my grandfolks do, and there's not even a thought of God in this process. That's not worship. Look at this. And let this be a guide for you maybe for the rest of your life. Deuteronomy really just says this, no lame worship. Now again, this is from God. Look what he says. Is there a defect in it? You know what that means, right? It's the same thing that we check for. Don't you hate that when you buy something that's expensive? You get it, and somehow in shipping, it's broken or it's dented or it's dinged. What do we do? Well, I guess they did their best. Do you know what we do? We send it back. Isn't that funny that God Almighty, the perfect heavenly creator, when he receives worship that has defect in it, he says, I'm sending that back. And then our little feeling, what do you mean that my worship isn't good enough? Was it? Or did it have defect in it? Is it lame? I've offered up lame worship before. How about you? I didn't give him the best of my best. I gave him my leftovers. I gave him the, yeah. I gave him the, this is the span of time. I gave him the, or it's blind. You're not following what you're supposed to be following. You shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. It doesn't mean that it's not there. It doesn't mean that you didn't offer it. But the question is, is that what we should be giving God? No. And this may be like, Wow, I didn't know God had such tight standards. He's God. And it's for your benefit. He's going to exist even if you don't do this, but it's for your benefit. Psalm 22, look at this. 
You are, in, you are holy, Lord, enthroned in the praises of Israel, not in the pride and contempt of Israel. You want to know how we enthrone him? How do we put him on the throne with our very lives? Not just in the quality of our voices. How we worship him with our lives. Whether we're offering lame worship, blind worship. Are you just following another blind person through worship? Are you looking for the king? Sometimes, and again, if this is not new and this is not I'm not picking on you, church. I'm trying to get our minds wrapped around what God wants for us. They dealt with this in Malachi. We're going to see this. And, and all of you, maybe if you know the Bible, you get nervous when pastors talk about Malachi because it's usually in response to tithes and offerings. We're not going there. Malachi 1.13, look at The nation had got to such a place that God was saying, I'm not receiving your offerings anymore. In fact, he says in one spot, your sacrifices are detestable to me. Now, if you don't know what that means, it's, it's not good. This is what he says. You want to know what the problem is? This is your attitude. Oh, what weariness. I am so tired of this, Lord. All this stuff and all these things that you expect and you sneer at it. Says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen. Think about this the lame and the sick. Is this how you bring me an offering? Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Now, if they didn't know what he expected, he wouldn't be asking this question, but he was very specific in what he was asking for. And at some point, the nation began to say, you know what, I'm kind of tired of this. And they began to sneer. They began to say, yeah, okay. I don't really see the benefit of having God on our side. I, you know, this is taking a little bit too long. This isn't exactly, it doesn't really do much for me. Um, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. Hey, just go get, it doesn't matter what lamb you bring, just bring one, will you? In fact, that one that's been limping around, that one's probably not going to make it very long anyway. Let's just, let's give him that one. And we went from honoring God and people that hearts were stirred and their spirits were willing taking off their own gold earrings and bracelets and whatever and making an offering to the Lord for the instruments to be built to now just give him the sick sheep God is so demanding jeez And we get all caught up in that. And pretty soon we're worried about music, lights. <laughs> and no offense to the show, because I don't watch it, but worship is not American Idol, folks. It's not there for us to judge. It's not some vocal talent contest. This is not, as Caleb said last week, some karaoke show where we sit back and go, oh, that stirred me. If you're not stirred by the King of Kings and what he's done for you, then this is American Idol to you. And American Idol works for the public, for the crowd in the camp. But it never flies with God. And we're either going to try to find the coolest lights and the best carpet and cart- I mean, let's just put in lazy boys and then more people will come to our church. 
And let's give stuff away that will appeal to them. And, and let's find the right style that really appeals. Style is for attracting people. We want to attract God. Whether it's your private worship or our corporate worship, our goal is to attract God. Not the praises of men. Not the attention of people around us in how we live. If we just live like God says, people will notice but we're doing it for God and not to meet, not because some pastor is demanding or making you feel guilty, but because you want to please God, but because you want your life to line up, because you know that without Him, your life is out of control. That's where mine is. When I don't have Him at the forefront, it begins to spin. I don't know about you, but whenever I bump Him out of first place, things begin to spin. Things begin to shake. But when he's in first place, I have a kingdom that is unshakable. And I have a God I can rely on. And then we go shaking and quaking and all messed up. And then we come running back to God. I don't know what's going on. The fact that you took me out of first place. That's what's going on. You you notice that like a year ago you started offering me lame worship. You wonder what's going on. Offensive content ahead as we get ready to finish here. There is nothing sacred or secular about lights, about drama, dance, video, pop, traditional hymns, or rock music. These are all a matter of style, church. And style is for attracting people. There's nothing sacred about any of that stuff. Our worship isn't to wow the world to bring them in. Our worship is to glorify our God. And either we emphasize the truth of God's word or we don't. Either we value the presence and power of God or we don't. Either we honor Jesus as the Son of God who died for our sins, or we don't. These things are not matters of style. These are absolutes. They are for pleasing God, and we cannot neglect them and hope to prosper or have true worship. We either worship Him how His Word says to worship Him, or we don't. And one way is, We receive it or we turn it back in. (laughs) I want the power and presence of God, not just in my life, but in everybody's life. But there's a protocol. There's a protocol. And that protocol is for your benefit, not His. And if you love hymns, sing hymns. But it better be something from the heart directed towards God, not just a style of music. Because again, style is about people. What pleases Him? Is my worship pleasing to Him? Is my lifestyle pleasing to Him? And if not, 
what are you waiting for? You've got grace to make it right. If you're living with your boyfriend, having sex, you know God doesn't want that. Why not make it right? I'll marry you. Come here. We'll talk real quick. We'll get you married. Why continue to live a way that's displeasing to God? Are you stealing from your employer? Today is the day to repent and stop. Are you checking out of worship? You're just coming to church because you think that's what gets you saved. I'm giving you a free pass. If that's why you're coming, don't come anymore. Until you have an encounter with the Almighty God and you want to be here. In fact, you won't let anybody stop you from being here. But we can't keep living our lives ignoring God and thinking that we're worshiping Him just because we sing some songs. It ain't worship, it's just songs. And we turn it into American Idol. And think about that title for just a minute, would you? American Idol. And let's remember what he said. In Exodus, you shall make no idols and worship them. And the idols come in all shapes and sizes, church. I'm just telling you. But the part, hardest part of Christianity that I found is that when he convicts me on something, I know I've got a choice. Am I going to line it up? Or am I going to justify it? Am I going to excuse it? I'm going to argue with him about it. Well, you don't know because, you know, and I've even had people tell me this. Now, listen, if it's you this morning, I don't read your mail. (laughs) I don't peer in your windows, usually. Pastor, we can't do such and such because we make more money when we're... Shows what you worship. We know God's word says. Now, if you didn't know what God's word said, thank God for grace, and he winks at our ignorance. But now we know. You know you shouldn't be getting drunk and high. You know that you've got to be a better employer and a better employee. You know you should be raising your kids like the Bible says you should raise them. You know you should be good to the people around you because the Bible says we're supposed to do that. We know these things, and when we act like we don't have to, it's not worship. It's an offense to God. And I don't want you to hear from him like he had to say to Malachi, is this what you're offering me? You think I'm going to take that from you? Send it back. Send it back.